Hey there, I'm Robbie Carmen from MixingLight.com, and welcome to a new and free podcast series featuring profiles of some of the world's most interesting, unique, and top colorists. Along with my Mixing Light partners, Patrick Inhofer and Dan Moran, we'll be interviewing colorists who work in all genres, with different experience levels, and all with unique insights into color grading. While we'll probably be occasionally touching on gear, this podcast series is more about the person, the colorist, and understanding what drives them and how experiences on projects have informed their style and what advice they'd give to those who are new to color grading. We'll be releasing episodes in the Colors Profile podcast series once or twice a month, and you'll be able to find the podcast on our blog at mixinglight.com. And there, you can subscribe to an RSS feed to stay on top of the newest episodes. In this first Colorist Profile episode, we're super excited to have colorist, tech guru, foodie, and all-around nice guy Juan Salvo. Based in New York City and the founder of the color space, Juan has a unique skill set that includes a mix of editorial, online, and color grading, along with a keen understanding of the technology that drives modern post-production. With a unique client base and projects that range from feature films and indie docs to commercials and music videos, Juan is an amazing talent in the field of color grading. So welcome, Juan. It's great to have you. How are you? It's a real honor to be here and uh, be the 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 number one profile here. Well, hey, man, you're the only person that responded. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, um, so, Juan, just before as we start out here, um, tell us a little bit about yourself. What's your background? How did you how did you get into grading? Sure. Well, I mean, my primary background comes from editorial. So I actually I came up in the editorial world, starting out with news and eventually doing promo and commercial work, and then. Um, ended up in New York and actually started doing a lot of doc work. And that's really what led me to color was kind of doing the finishing work on docs, which it, you know extends beyond just doing color. It's also about doing image enhancement, noise reduction, fixing problems, you know, all of these um, sort of mixed disciplines that have to go in, you know, understanding how something was shot, whether it's interlaced or progressive, how to deal with that kind of interlacing, whether the fields have gotten reversed, whether the yeah. two, three pull down is in there, with all these <laughs> things. And then on top of that, figuring out how to make the color uh, uh, look, you know, not not only uh, pleasing, but also mm -hmm. consistent and uh, make really make the image the best it can be, right? Yeah. So how, how long would you say then, you know, have you been working with color as your primary thing? And, you know, I know obviously you, you dabble in all this other stuff from time to time, but sure. as color as your primary thing, how long do you think you've been doing that? Uh, as a primary thing, probably 10 years, 12 years. Um, you know, the what's happened basically is uh, I think the uh, – the the stuff that I've been doing for maybe fifteen years now of you know this finishing stuff has sort of drifted into what used to be the strictly colorist thing. Right. So it's like um, I was you know an online editor slash colorist, and now I'm really I just really call myself a colorist because what a colorist is is a lot more than just what a you know telecine operator. Of course. Um, so I think that 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 drift has sort of kind of come to me. You know, it's like a. Uh, come to uh, bring the mountain to Muhammad. Yeah, <laughs> I have so I have some background questions that I've always wanted to ask colorists. And the first one is: Let's say you're at a party and you're meeting a, a relative or a close family friend for the first time, and they ask you what you do for a living. Oh, sure. How I'm a you, hairdresser. How do you answer that? I do. I do hair <laughs> hair dyeing. Um, no, I. My wife says. My wife still tells people I'm an editor, and then she'll tell them. Uh, but don't don't tell him he's an editor. Just if he if he if he, if he, if you meet him, just tell him he's a colorist. Right. Like oh, you're a colorist. Um, I'm. You know, I don't think the, the editorial side is a is a big part of it. But obviously, we're we're different from that. And I, but I think that's kind of the closest analogy that people can can maybe relate to is the idea of like, 
finishing, editorial finish. Sure. Um, so uh, that's kind of the uh, the um, reference I make, or I'll make the uh, the reference to like stills, like a developer, uh, photo finisher. Yeah. Um, I think people get that from Photoshop and the idea of Photoshop. Like I'm like, I'm Photoshop for. Oh, for video. Images. Right. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. So when you were kind of coming up in the editorial world and then eventually transitioning to online and then to color, um, did you have, you know, any sort of formal training or apprenticeship? Did you sit with a master colorist and, and, and learn the ropes that way? Or did you kind of just kind of get a feel for it on your own and learn the skills that, you know, both aesthetically and technically that were required to become a colorist? Or, or did you have a helping hand with that? Um, I th- mostly it was, I have to say it was trial and error and just uh, uh, learning and learning and learning and, and research. I mean, a lot of stuff, you know, uh, books, you know, you've sure. written, um, um, Hartman's written, Patrick's written. Sure. Um, uh, or websites. And, and uh, I mean, I wish I had a resource like Mixing Light when I was kind of starting out because that would have been incredibly helpful. But... Uh, no, it was basically just trial and error, uh, research, uh, uh, speaking with uh, other colorists, uh, speaking with uh, DPs, mm-hmm. uh, you know, showing them things, having them show me things. Like that process, that um, sort of engagement is, has been uh, kind of the most uh, educated. You know, do you think today like that, that idea of an apprenticeship or formal training is something that's important? Or do you think that because the tools are just out there and everybody has them, that we've, we've moved past that idea of apprenticeship and formal training when it comes to this stuff? I think there's a real value to it. I think a lot of it depends on the personality. I, I've always been kind of a, um, uh, like a self-taught, you know, I, 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 what is it? An auto-dictat, right? Uh, <laughs> if you say so, sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, where you kind of just uh, take things on yourself and just uh, take the initiative to actually figure stuff out. Yep. Um, and I think there's a value to that. I, I, I think there's also a real value to the idea of apprenticeship and kind of um, learning something off of someone that's been doing it for a number of years. Um, I don't think that happens in this industry very much because... Uh, I think the facilities that have the capacity to support that are kind of overwhelmed. Like I, you know, I'm just starting up the color space. We're just starting to kind of grow out. And uh, we, you know, we hear from people who would, you know, want to intern with us or want to, want to like, you know, apprentice. And uh, it's something I, like, I, I would love to be able just to. Just don't help. have the time to help them get to where they need to get to, right? Uh, on, you know, and it's as, as somebody who does it, uh, you know that it's you're really making an investment in something that's going to pay off for that person ten years or five years down the line. You're not making a real gain off of it. Like you know, it's it's it really takes more time and energy than I get out of it. It's really something I'm doing to further the craft, you know. And uh, so one day we'll 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 start a program like that, hopefully. But um, but you know, it's something that a lot of places don't do because it just it it it's so. As it is, it's a market that's changing. It's in flux. Um, I think you're seeing a lot of like the old school DI houses with the uh, sunk costs and the legacy costs are kind of struggling to yep. pay their bills. Of course. And so they're not really looking to invest in the future of how do we develop this craft. They're looking into how do we survive this market. Gotcha. Um, I think that, that that's one of the strategies going into the color space is like kind of this leaner, mm-hmm. more efficient, more um, flexible approach. Yep. I think that's the future of post houses. And I think there's a real value to having like a, a dedicated facility that has these technical capabilities. Um, and there's a value to having the craftsmen that can support those capabilities. Yeah, yeah totally. Um, but but I think that the, this market is in such flux, it's hard to say like here's how you become – 
here's how you become a, a real colorist. You know, like here's the steps you need to take. If you were to quote unquote design the perfect colorist, uh, what would you have them be? What would, what would the mix of technical skills or personality traits that they must have uh, to fit into that role of colorist? And, and, and additionally, what would you have them get into or study? Would it be art, photography, design? Speak a little bit about what makes up that sort of, you know, perfect colorist in your mind. Uh, the answer to your question is yes, like all of those. <laughs> I think, I mean, that's one of the things I love about doing color is I really do think it's the culmination of so many different disciplines. And it's this, you know, I think uh, Steve Jobs, I think in, like his last keynote talked about how he saw Apple as the kind of crossroad between like um, technology and the the arts, you know. And it's like that kind of, kind of left brain. I think color is that times a million, you know. It's really... Uh, photography, art, uh, you know, graphic design, design in general, uh, psychology. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, it's it's a uh, it's a social uh, function. Like you, you have to understand how to deal with people and how to talk to clients, and that's a very important part of being a colorist. And then beyond that is the technology, the technique, the color science, the math. There's very very complex math involved. And I think that's something that's really kind of underappreciated. When you get to a certain level um, and you're trying to kind of compete at that level, you really, you really, uh, it goes beyond just like moving the balls around. It becomes, it becomes a, a, a much more complex craft that's got a lot of disciplines feeding into it. Right. And so, I mean, I guess, I mean, in your mind, you know, some people I think, and we, we know this, these people, we interact with them on Twitter and Facebook and other places all the time. People get so caught up in the gear, in the, the technical aspects of it. And as you mentioned, of course, that's an important thing. You need to know some of the vocab and some of the technical things. Sure. Um, but do you think that people get caught up on the technical side of things and less caught up on the aesthetic side of things? In other words, that there are so much about pushing the buttons and, and, and how everything pieces together and they forget about the craft of, of grading? Yeah. I mean, I think there's there's two levels to the craft too. There's the purely aesthetic level and then there's the more kind of um, technical scientific level. Mm -hmm. But both of those are feeding into the same thing. Like understanding, for example, the difference between linear light and scene referred linear, linear and video and log. Right. It's a really technical thing, but it feeds directly into the craft of how do you grade something, right? Right, right. Um, and that's just one example of it. Or understanding color spaces. Like that's a very, very technical mathematical thing. And yet it's, it's, it, it feeds right into how do you perform well, the craft. Can you, can you be a good colorist without being the most techie person out there? Um, I think to a point, mm -hmm. I think, I, I don't think you have to be the most techie person, but I think you have to have a, to be a great colorist. Um, and I, you know, I think of like Stephen Nakamura as somebody who's like, to me is like, uh, uh, inspiring or somebody I kind of look up to. Um, and I think he's a very, very, very technically proficient person, um, on top of the aesthetic. Sure. You have to have that technical proficiency at a certain level. I mean, if you're dealing with, if you're, if the only thing you're dealing with is Alexa footage or, uh, you know, C300 footage all the time, and you're not having to figure out what color space this is in or how, where it's going to end up, N not necessarily the high end stuff, but you're trying to like, you're trying to solve a puzzle that's maybe more complex than just moving the knob this way or the knob that way. Um, I think I think those other skills become important. So, Juan, uh, changing gears a little bit, tell us about a project recently that you were kind of really proud of, and and why you were proud to uh, to work on it as a colorist. Well, I mean, I have a deep affection for the films of like the seventies. I think that there was some really inventive stuff being done back then. And uh, so, recently, I had a project that came in with uh, some filmmakers, actually a pair of uh, brothers, hmm. uh, and they had 
decided to make a, they made an aesthetic decision that was just basically like embracing that kind of look. You know, the reference I got was Mean Streets. You know? Okay, yeah, sure. And uh, so it was like rich and dark and kind of meaty and red and, you know, like basically embracing mixed lighting and mm-hmm. kind of this very cinema verite style and genuinely cinema verite, not cinema verite with like, you know, kind of a blockbuster look. And uh, and I, I actually really enjoyed that project. I thought it was, it was great to do something kind of had a different aesthetic and and uh, had a different feel to it. So, you know, that brings to mind, though, like, you know, obviously all clients are different, right? And they mm-hmm. all have different demands. On that particular project, like, what were the challenges? I mean, were you, when you initially met with them, you were sort of like, what are you guys talking about? Or did you, how did you go through that process of sort of translating what they wanted to what you were doing on the control surface and then on the screen? Yeah, well, we started out with looking at the rough cut. So we kind of skimmed through the rough cut, talked about a couple of troublesome shots. Uh, there were some shots that they they had shot in this very sort of um, a, a cinema verite style where they were kind of running, gunning, running and gunning it. They were shooting in a cab a lot. So it's a lot of like handheld stuff. Um, and the film sort of feeds into that style. You know, it's meant to kind of look like a, feel like a dock a little bit, like a very personal story about this, uh, uh, actually about a taxi driver. And... Uh, and so uh, th- th- we came in and kind of looked at some troublesome shots. And so the first issue was, like, how do we deal with these problems? This, this shot's overexposed. This is very underexposed. We've, you know, we're going to have a lot of noise here. So that was the first um, uh, part of the conversation was, right. okay, here, here are the worst things to deal with. And then we looked at here are the best things to deal with. Here are the shots we're really proud of that we really like. And we talked about uh, the story and the context of the story and how – uh, the film should feel, and their feedback was, you know, it was a lot of it is at night, a lot of it is in New York City, in this taxi. There's a lot of stuff in the streets. There's all these mixed lighting conditions. We want to embrace the mixed lighting. We want to have something that feels kind of like, you know, uh, you know, something out of the '70s or '80s that was shot in New York and kind of has this gritty feel, has this richness. And so once that conversation started, then we started talking about, well, let's do these, these kind of deep, rich reds. You know, let's have Let's have that red come through in the bottom end. Let's um, let's do something that's got a little more depth to it, and let's do let's see what we can do with the skin tones. Let's so that that kind of fed the conversation, and and at that point it was just a matter of like showing them some stuff, and we were kind of like, what do we think of this? What do you think of that? And um, finding a, a sweet spot for it, uh, which actually went that went relatively quickly, and and then we had the issue of dealing with what about the outlier scenes? What about because a lot of it's in nighttime? What about the daytime stuff? What about this interior stuff? Um, and figuring out a way to make those flow and work with, in context, uh, f- scenes that were just totally, you know, unrelated. So I guess that leads me to ask the question, in your opinion, what's actually harder, grading or working with the clients? Uh, wow. <laughs> um, I, I'm going to say grading. Because <laughs> there's any clients listening. No, I'm, I'm, I'm lucky. Well, let, me, have- let, me, let me rephrase that. I guess it would be is it, what's harder, the actual executing their, their vision or sort of understanding what their vision is. Because, you know, sometimes we've all been there sometimes where a client walks in and says, just make it look nice and you do what you do, right? And then other times we have clients, you know, clients that come in and who are very nuanced with what they want. And they just want you to kind of be uh, – their appendage, if you will, to pushing the buttons to make it happen on screen. What do you think? What do you think's harder? Like sort of realizing their vision, or just kind of getting to know what their vision is? Well, I, you know what, I think uh, uh, the the clients that come in with the idea of an appendage, I kind of don't mind that because I I feel like that 
to me, the, a strong opinion is a good thing, and that mm. gives me something to work off of. Sure. Um, and then at a certain point, you just kind of go, well, the, the laws of physics become an issue, right? Like, well, I can't really uh, – that the background and the skin tone are the same color, and there's no way we're going <laughs> to key that. If you want to do a, a mocha pass and do some roto work, yeah, can, right, right. maybe do something. Um, and uh, and then at that point, I think when you hit start hitting those walls, that's where you can kind of have an opportunity for a breakthrough, because then you can start to go, well, listen, I understand what you were going for is this kind of this richness or this this naturalistic style, and uh, so once I know that, then I can start to kind of feed them in a direction that's maybe not so uh, exact. I think you know what happens is a lot of colorists that are uh, starting out today and they have these amazing tools available at, at, for free basically yeah, yeah, yeah. free and speed grade and color apple colors in the suite or was um y- you know they they develop a technique of being uh really kind of specific about what they're adjusting so they start doing a lot of qualifications a lot of power windows a lot of things uh that are very uh, what i consider the fine work and they're doing it as part of the rough work, the overall look. So, so I think the, that 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 uh, approach and that technique that it, I think starting colors to developing, which I think is not necessarily the best technique. Mm-hmm. I think it's extending itself into the creatives and the clients, where they're they're coming into a color session. They know they know now what the capabilities are that we have at our disposal, but they're not thinking about how do you apply the tool. So they're they're looking at. Uh, dealing with things that should be dealt with in a, with a sledgehammer with a scalpel and so their feedback is use the scalpel to cut this part out um when when their feedback should be let's hammer this thing into place and then we'll f- polish it with the scalpel but they don't know that so i think part of my job is going let me hear all your feedback about this shot first and then let's evaluate what the best approach is let me tell you what the best approach is and i think that's that part of the conversation can be really tricky and but that's that's a really important part of the conversation with the client. Is there a Juan Salvo style, something that you're known for, a look, a feel? You know, obviously we can think of famous films out there that we can associate with, you know, the Transformers look or whatever with maybe with different colorists. Is there so is there something that you think that you've developed so far in the time that you've been grading that's your aesthetic? Um no, I think uh, I think it varies from work to work. I find myself doing uh, lately doing a lot of commercial work where I, I I've developed kind of a naturalistic style I like to call it, which is it's sort of a um, an adjustment on kind of that low con look, which unfortunately was really popular. It's kind of waning in popularity. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so my uh, my variation on that was a, a much more kind of subdued palette with a little bit of contrast. Um, and just kind of a very sort of natural feel, you know, sort of soft thing, soft highlights and uh, and soft shadows that just kind of make, you know, you can leave some contrast in the image but make it feel uh, much more naturalistic, which I figured out that was really what people were trying to get at with the low con look was they just felt it looked more natural for some reason. Yeah, sure, sure. And uh, so I, I've, I've sort of developed uh, techniques to kind of um, – give my clients that feeling while also retaining some level of contrast so you can see it with lights on, you know, you can still see the image. Do you have things that you carry from one project to another project? Yeah, they're strictly technical things. Okay. Um, so things like, uh, you know, I've developed stuff. I think I've shared some of these things, like the two, the two, two strip Technicolor, three strip Technicolor, the um, uh, Unsharp Mask, uh, um, you know, things like that. Uh, I'll, I will um, keep my goodie bag. Uh, and then there's things like 
really um, cooler stuff like that, that, that I keep in my goodie bag. But that it's it's never a whole look. It's part of a look. It's it, it's meant to feed into something. Um, I really try to develop uh, looks to fit the project uh, uniquely. Like that, I think that's an important part of the color space too. Is like you know our philosophy is really it's not about cookie cutter. You know how do we make this look fit your project? It's how do we develop a look that. That for works your for your project, yeah. Cool. So I got one last question for you, Juan. Mm-hmm. Um, the future of grading, right? You know, what you and I do and what uh, members of Mixing Light are, are doing and aspire to do, where are we going to be technically, do you think, in 10 years? And where do you think maybe aesthetically we're going to be in that same time frame? How do you think things are going to develop? Wow. Um, I mean, I think, the you know, you're going to see these things. Uh, a, a big part of what's feeding the look is, I think, the kind of the improved performance of cameras. And I think we're going to get we're getting to a point now where the camera performance is kind of no longer a part of the equation. Um, and so basically, like you know, you look at the kind of the the current uh, breed of cameras, which is like I would say, you know, the stuff that's come out in the last year or so, which would be Dragon, F fifty five, F five, maybe F sixty five, and uh, well, the C five hundred I think is kind of the exception to that rule. But they they're all very very high performance cameras, a lot of latitude. Uh, wide dynamic range, wide gamut, um, and uh, so I think the, the technology is becoming. And, a, and Asus is a part of this too. Asus is a very wide gamut format, and it's kind of I think the future of of color science in a lot of ways. And so I think you're getting you're getting out of a place where you're limited by what the camera can acquire, and you're just much more limited by much more empowered by what you can do with that image and how you can treat that image. So I I do think that the Art of color grading is going to become uh, kind of a substitute for what the decisions that the DP used to make before the shoot, which was how you light something to some degree, but also like what stock you're using, what lensing you're using. Uh, those kinds of decisions are becoming less and less important on the day of, and they're becoming more and more a part of our uh, our job. But do, do you do you see though that like the on the aesthetic of grading it being sort of the same that it's always kind of been that, you know, trends and fashion and, uh, you know, uh, color palettes du jour are kind of be the kind of the way that we continue forward. Or do you think aesthetically uh, we're getting into new territory or is it always a reinvention of kind of what's been there and done before? I would like to think, I mean, I, I think in a lot of ways we're, uh, we're maybe going through a phase of um, less inventiveness right now. I would say I, I see a lot of kind of... Uh, work that I, I, I think um, is meant to look like somebody else's work, a lot of kind of, you know, copycat work. Um, or, you know, you, you see trends that are kind of uh, a bit odd, uh, maybe, but, you know, like the low-con look, which I think is actually waning a lot now because I, I was actually just um, – Looking at some of the fall TV, like on my DVR, I finally had them. <laughs> and it had contrast, lo and behold. <laughs> I know. I was actually really pleasantly surprised. I was like, even the stuff that was like low con ish uh, was more what I would call the naturalistic style, you know, like the new uh, Apple iPhone ads were very kind of naturalistic. And, but there were some really nice uh, palette work and some uh, very nice. Um, I was really impressed with like a lot of the kind of the warmth uh, that was showing up in spots that it was actually kind of a richness that I don't think we've been seeing uh, for a little while. And so it's nice to see that richness come back. Now, how does that shape up five years from now, 10 years from now? I think you're going to see 
you're seeing more and more color work being done, period. Like projects that could not afford or could not do color work before are doing it now. Editors are doing it. I think that that, that fact leads into a realization of the value of it and also the, the, the value of the craft, how, how, how much um, a, a technical and, and artistic um, capability needs to go into actually building a look that's not just okay but good. Uh, or great, and um, and so I think I think you're going to see that trend kind of continue to develop. Where um, you know a lot of people will do something like a color pass, like with you know things like Colorista or even Resolve um, that that can't afford it. And I think you're going to see a lot of upward push for projects that were kind of on the cusp before that couldn't maybe afford to go to Colorist, making the effort to do it um, because it, the value of it is more apparent. You know. Um, at least that's that's what I think, but we'll see. Awesome. Well, Juan, uh, lastly, just tell people where they can go to find out more information about you, about your company. Where can they uh, where can they find you on the web? Sure. So you can uh, you can find me at JuanSalvo.com, and uh, I'm on Twitter at j underscore salvo, and uh, all over the internet. And you can find the color space at the color space with a U. That's C O L O U R. Uh, Colorspace.com. Great. Thanks so much for your time, Juan. Don't forget, our Colorist Profile series is an ongoing podcast that's available on the MixingLink.com blog. And in future episodes, we'll be talking to top colorists from around the world with focuses on different genres and unique insights into grading. So be sure to stay tuned for those. And if you're not a member of MixingLink.com, be sure to check out our membership plans. So thanks again, Juan. Really appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. Real honor. Thank you for having me.